If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 86, verses 11 through 17, on page 494. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord, my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and may be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Our New Testament reading is Romans 8, verses 12 through 25 on page 944. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, and hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. And now, O Lord, help us. Open our eyes, Lord, as the prophet has prayed. Open our eyes that we may behold wonderful truths from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Last Sunday was a day of infamy because Kenny Foster preached a sermon that was 15 minutes. But have no fear. (laughs) This is part two. (laughs) 
the spirit of adoption as sons. So last week we began this message uh, teaching that kinship is a matter of justice. And we are teaching how the spirit of adoption as sons, kinship, is where justice is at work in the rectification of all things. So herein is an overhaul of our idea about justice. Because most people have the idea of justice, like James Whitcomb Riley's Little Orphan Annie, we quoted last week, uh, where Annie, as, as an orphan, she would tell this story to the children, you better mind your parents, your teachers fond and dear, and cherish them that loves you, and dry the orphan's tears, and help the poor and needy ones that clusters all about, or the goblins will get you if you don't watch out. So I dropped the Hoosier dialect just to make it easier for you Delawareans. <laughs> but so, so that's, that's, that is orphan justice. If you do bad things, something bad is going to happen to you. If you're good, then good things will happen to you. But that's not the idea of justice that we see in the scripture or the idea of justice that we see here in the spirit of adoption as sons. The spirit of adoption as sons is an inside out work of restoration of the orphans to their heavenly father. Christ sent his spirit to do his work in our orphan hearts. And the text was then summarized with this sentence, the spirit of adoption as sons is at work giving us new, a new obligation as it releases us from oppression, shaping our outlook on the present by the optimism of future salvation. Now last week, we covered the new obligation, learning that we, we have a new power. You can go online and, and listen to all 15 minutes of it. But, but there, that was just, that was the first point. But, so though the Spirit has given us this new responsibility or, of being led by the Spirit. We have no obligation to the flesh, but we are obligated to the Spirit. So we consider the justice of the Spirit of adoption as sons. So let's pick up with point number two. This release from oppression. Look at verses 15 through 17. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So kinship is about justice. The spirit of adoption as sons is justice being applied in the life of orphans. And the truths of the gospel's claims and, and its implications, it had to be shocking to both Jew and Gentile. And it had to shock them in order to transform them. And it has to do the same in us. See, slaves in Rome being called sons of God that was shocking. It elevated, it elevated their status. See, being labeled a son of the gods was only said of the emperor. Jews reading this would have been shocked because 
they would see the Exodus motif that has been, that was, that's, that's their heritage of being released from Egyptian slavery to being sons of God. You don't have time to go into all of that, but you can see it in Exodus, Deuteronomy, Numbers, Leviticus, all of this, and, and how God shaped them and told them that it's that very Exodus that would be what they were to remember, that they too were slaves, and therefore they weren't to use their new freedom to oppress the slave or the stranger. So now you see, and Paul is saying that this is for Gentiles. So it would be shocking for the Jew to hear this. And so now believers are delivered from the bondage of slavery and given the spirit of adoption as sons, an act of justice. And now adoption in the first century, in first century Rome, it's not like adoption in our time. See, first century adoption is something that a master might give to the slave to confer status and, and honor to the slave. The slave couldn't purchase it. It, couldn't, it could only be given. It canceled their debt. And it canceled some relationships. And the adopted person was placed in the lineage of the adoptive family. And if you, have, if you were to have status in first century Rome, it would be because of your house. It's because of your lineage. That you were, uh, that, that your paterfamilias, his house, is what you were identified with. And so imagine, you are now a believing slave in Rome in the first century, and you are told you're no longer a slave. You had no rights. Now you do. You had no control over your body. Now you can give the members of your body as instruments of righteousness. You had no lineage. Now you have divine lineage. You were not considered anyone's equal, but now you're on par with the citizen, the freed man, even the emperor, as you have received not the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom you cry, Abba, Father. See, Roman adoptions also required witnesses. And here, the spirit is the witness. And so, if you're a female slave and you're reading this or, or it's being explained to you in, in, in a worship service, you would probably shout, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, I'm free at last. Hallelujah. Now, why? Because you have been in, elevated from less than nothing to being an equal with the master, on par with the emperor as an adopted son of God. See, are you beginning to see how the spirit of adoption of sons is the work of justice? Right is being restored. Slaves are being delivered. The culture is being changed. Freed persons, masters, and slaves, Jew and Gentile, are now all equals in Christ. The emperor is being demystified, and the mystique of self-appointed deity is removed as the least on the rung of the ladder of Roman societies are made sons of the living God who is above all gods. 
And then justice is further aided as they learn that it's by the Spirit they cry, Abba, Father. And that word, that word cry is an, an emotionally laden word. And a, a good, another word, a good word for it would be vociferous, an outcry. See, normally when this, you hear this passage, you know, we, the, the, the attention, the, you're immediately drawn to the phrase Abba. And, 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 and people will say that it's a sweet little da-da talk and uh, that you have this kind of relationship with. Well, yeah, and we do have this kind of relationship with the Father. But you, and you hear people pray it sometimes, Daddy. But that's not the sense of the phrase here because it's, it's the, word, the word is to cry. So there are... There are two elements here in the phrase to cry, Abba, Father. It's our distress and the Father's love for us. See, it's that word, that, that word cry, it's, it's the same word that describes Peter as he was sinking in the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and the text says he cried, Lord, save me. It's that same word that, that, that's translated cry, Abba, Father. It was the crowd on, on Palm Sunday as they cried, Hosanna, save us now. See, in the Psalm 86, verse 14 through 16, it puts those two ideas of, of distress and the Father's love together perfectly. And when he says, oh God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seeks my life, and they do not set you before them. But you, O oh Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. See, you can hear, you can hear this cry of distress, this cry for justice, yet coupled with Abba the tender, loving nature of our God. And Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, it's, the same, it's the same truth, because in Mark 14, 36, it's, Jesus is the one who brings all this together. It's, it happens in him when he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. So can you imagine... The believing slave woman talking to her father, God, about the abuses she has suffered at the hand of her master or mistress. And while crying out to Abba, the spirit is affirming that she is a son of God. And that is why she can pray. See, the Spirit affirms to her that she is an heir with Christ, that her oneness with Jesus fills her heart and mind with this reality that Jesus, like her, has suffered too. This changes the way she sees her circumstances, which is the next point, how it shapes our outlook on the present. Look at verses 18 through 21. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
Yeah, we have a new obligation that releases from oppression that shapes our outlook on the present. See, with this in mind, so there are some appropriate questions that you should ask that we, and, that, and that we can ask. Why do you suppose the gospel is good news? And why would good news become an occasion for suffering? And if the content of the gospel is just the forgiveness of sin and deliverance from hell, resurrection from the dead, with an, and they all live happily ever after ending, why would any person, class, or government deem that worthy of persecution? See, it can't be lost on us that our status change and the power of the spirit of adoption as sons isn't recognized by the culture at large. See, people don't care that whether or not you're a son of God. They want to know if you're going to show up to work on time on Monday. <laughs> Are you going to be honest in your job? Yeah, you know, they don't care that, that your sins have been forgiven. You know, you tell somebody, well, my sins are forgiven. So, so it's not recognized by the culture at law. So how are they to now regard their new life in the spirit with their social status as slaves still in the employ of their, mister, their masters or, or their mistress? So there's a word that might be helpful here, and, and, and it's, the, it's the word dissonance. Yeah, spiritual spiritual. Cognitive dissonance. So, 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 yeah, I know dissonance is typically a musical term, you know, these discordant sounds, and, yeah, when, when you hear it in music, it's like, ah! Yeah, but, when, but in the context of the, whole, of the whole score, it's right, and it feels right, but, but it, just, it just doesn't sound right. But, so there's dissonance. There's these two thoughts that don't seem to go together, and, and it's the idea that there's justice coming, but it's not the way you think it should look. Because we usually see people, we, we, you know, isn't this true? We usually want people to get justice right away. You know, they run the red light, where's the cop when you need him? No. And particularly, if, if you're the one that they've wronged, you want them to get justice right away. Now, when you wrong somebody, well, you have your reasons. You know, and, I, and, and you know, yeah, you want forgiveness. But, uh, but you know, usually that's the way, that's the way we, we want justice to happen. However, Jesus says, leave the matter of vengeance to the Lord. And here's why. Because God has always aligned himself with the sufferer. You can read it all through the scripture. He always aligned himself with the sufferer. Your suffering becomes his suffering. Whatever it is that people are doing to you, they are doing it to Jesus. Whatever, whatever trial you are suffering, Christ suffers with you. Remember Stephen when, when he's being stoned? You know, and he looks up and he sees Jesus. And remember Paul when, when, when the Lord appears to him and he says to Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He take, he, it's, he, it's, his suffering is our suffering. This means that the suffering with Jesus then is in many ways suffering the injustices for which he was crucified. Dissonance. Dis it, it doesn't sound like this should go together, but it's dissonance. 
It's dissonance. Yeah, this is, this is what the communion shows us. Suffering with Jesus is to know that you identify with him as he has identified with you. In the communion, he said this, the cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is for you. He took our sins and spiritual poverty so that when he died, he didn't die for things that he had done, but for things we had done. The death he died is the death we should have died. Therefore, to suffer injustice is to suffer with Jesus. He didn't deserve the suffering, unjust See, friends, see, unjust suffering isn't a sign that you've done something wrong. It's a sign that you're in the sun. See, in the words of, you remember, maybe you remember this group from the 90s, REM, you know, they had the song that everybody hurts. Well, yeah, and they're right, everybody, everybody hurts, but not everyone's hurt is counted the same. Yeah, see, yeah, so two people can be in the hospital with cancer. One's a believer, the other one isn't. The, what, the believer's cancer is not counted the same as the person who's not a believer. You say, well, how can God do that? I'm telling you, dissonance. God can do this. And, and here's one preacher from yesteryear who's, who put it this way. He said, there are afflictions which are common to men as men, but which have to Christians a, significant, a signification different from that which they have to others. All men have to endure more or less weakness and suffering of body, depression of mind, bereavements, changes in outward circumstances, and other afflictions providentially appointed or permitted. But to Christians, these come as messages and monitions from the Heavenly Father, and they have to be accepted in the spirit which the Lord Jesus has displayed and exemplified. When suffering and sorrow are born in the spirit of him who said, not my will, O my Father, but thine be done, then there is evidence of fellowship with the Lord. Dissonance. There it is. There it is. That this is this is the this is the 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 life between the now and the not yet. Right now, the father counts the hurts of his children differently and calls us to see them differently. The not yet is present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in to us. And to share in Christ's glory is to let God take vengeance, and to give to the Lord his inheritance, the nations. See, that's, that is, that's the inheritance, that it's the whole world. And Romans says this, that the whole creation waits for this. Romans eight nineteen. for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And that the whole creation has been in bondage and waits to be set free. Look at verses 20 and 21. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So imagine the believing slave girl hearing that the whole world has been subjected in slavery in order that it will be set free along with her and the other children of God. She was once and still seen by some as the lowest of the low in society, and yet 
because of the spirit of adoption of sons, the whole universe is dependent on what will happen to people like her. That's another reason to shout. <laughs> See, so it's therein is the optimism of future salvation. Look at verses 22 through 25. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And see, Paul's language and, and the word pictures that he puts before us are meant to signal certainty. See, he's not, he's not just guessing or, or, or having wishful thinking that, that these things will occur, but he, he is certain, and he, so he's certain that, this, that these will happen. And he gives these two images, a woman giving birth and a harvest, first fruits. See, the, the image of childbirth, it's meant to explain the sufferings and the trouble, that the creation groans. The creation is waiting to deliver this thing, to, to deliver what God is birthing in it. The first fruit is meant to convey the truth that God has blessed in the past, and in the future, there are more good things to come. And this tells us that by the spirit of adoption as sons, that our obligation to the spirit is not wasted effort. It's not wasted effort and, or, or the things that we suffer, but it works something greater for us. Our release from oppression shows that we have a father who has heard our cries for justice to be finished. And this shaping our outlook of the present enables us to see how deeply we are identified with Christ and that our suffering is his suffering. And the optimism of future salvation assures us that justice will rectify and restore all that was lost. Hallelujah. See, the spirit of adoption as sons is where justice is at work in the rectification of all things. So how large is your understanding of the gospel? So is, do you just see it as your individual salvation, your individual forgiveness? Is that, is that what you see? If, if so, then you're still thinking like little orphan Annie. You still think that goblins are going to get you if you don't watch out. See, you're not, you're not embracing the communal nature of our status as sons, plural. God, sons of God. See, listen, listen to the psalmist and, and let these truths shock you so that they'll transform you. Because listen back in verse 17 of, of Psalm 86 where the, the psalmist prays this. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see and be put to shame because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. Yeah, what? Nerve does he have that he should ask God to show him a sign of favor? Isn't the fact that he's breathing enough? See, where is that sign? Well, it's here in the table of our Lord. See, in the Lord's Supper, we see Jesus fulfilled the obligation of the law in loving his neighbor as himself, even as it cost him his life. 
See, in the Lord's Supper, Jesus released us from the oppression of sin and death. Listen to what he says in Luke 22, verses 19 and 20. Think about this. He, and he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The new covenant. He's saying, I'm the new exodus. I am your way out. At the Lord's table, Jesus shapes our outlook on the present when he says in Luke 22, 15 and 16, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You see that? He shaped the present. He shaped, he shaped the present circumstances by his outlook on his suffering. In the Lord's Supper, Jesus assures our optimism of future salvation. When on, on the night he was betrayed, he said this in verse 18 of Luke 22, For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. <laughs> Jesus waits to eat with us. He waits to eat and drink with us. We are eating and drinking now. So do you think that he doesn't feel our hunger for righteousness, our desire for justice? Yeah, he hungers for it more than we can know. And here at the table of our Lord, is the sign of God's favor. And every time we come to the table, we preach the gospel of grace as we share in the communion that just as Jesus received everything we deserved in bearing our sin, we have and will share everything that is his as sons who are led by the Spirit. And when he returns, one day we'll, we'll be like Samwise Gamgee. If you've read Return of the King, you know, you remember, you know, he and Frodo, they're on the rocks, they're passed out. You know, they don't know what in the world has taken place. The eagles come and they get them and, 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 and carry them, carries them back to, to Ithilene. And he wakes up, Samwise wakes up, and, and Gandalf asks him, Well, Master Samwise, how do you feel? Sam lay back and stared with open mouth and for a moment, but bewilderment and great joy, he could, he could not answer at last he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. But then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What happened to the world? Yeah. Isn't that what we long for? This is what the communion, friends, this is what the communion shows us. To come to the table of our Lord and be nourished by Jesus, the one in whom everything sad will come untrue. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because here we see Jesus. He's the one who has great power and has taken on the great responsibility 
of bringing the justice of God into our lives and the world.